pray the Lord's Prayer with me? Let's do it together. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us those trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. And as you're sitting, if you could turn to Luke 11. Luke chapter 11. If you need a Bible, you can get it on our app, Conduit Ministries app, or if you... We've got plenty of physical Bibles here as well. Just put your hand up. We'll make sure you get one. So something just happened there. Um, For all of us as we prayed the Lord's Prayer, a lot of us are like, maybe especially if you're here for the first time or whatever, you're like, oh, oh, like this is one of those churches, like where they're like a little traditional and like, Bring that in. Is that something you do every week? And, and then the other half of you are like, yeah, I'm like shocked that I even remembered that thing, uh, that, that actual prayer. And then like maybe the rest of you are like, where am I? Like what was that? What just happened there? How did everybody know that? And I, like there's this thing that happens when we come into ritual or we come into something like the Lord's Prayer, um, whether we remember it or whether we don't remember it, and there's this thing that happens inside of us where we either check in or we check out based on ritual. We check in like the fact that like, oh, I know this, I know what's coming next, or literally the distraction of what to say to God is in your, like the creativity or sharing your heart is kind of wiped away and the structure is brought and it's a positive thing. But either way, something happened in this room where we, like even like some of you may have learned a different version or you've learned the King James version of it versus maybe like, wait, why are they saying thy? Why are we talking that way? What's happening, you know? Like, and we're not sure which way to come from. Um, either way, we're going to see uh, the one of two areas or the one of two times where Jesus gives us the prayer of how we should pray. One is recorded in Matthew and one is recorded right here in Luke chapter 11. All right, so this is the abbreviated version. This is the shortened version. This is the, the one that you may read through, and you're like, wait a minute. He left out a few spots. And then you realize, like, I just called Jesus out. Wait a minute. Like, like there's this thing inside of us with ritual. Even maybe even how we do church, or how casual maybe conduit does church, which like instantly may be like, whoa, that's different. And maybe that's, to some people that's like awesome, and to some people it's like, I don't know, man, that... Pastor's wearing jeans. Like, what's up with that? Like, I can wear I can wear a hoodie. I can wear I can wear shorts. I can wear I can wear I can wear flip flops to church. That's crazy. And we mix this like how we feel about ritual with like the practical nature of how we've always done it. The disciples were no different. See, they wanted to do in this moment asking Jesus a question, how to pray. They wanted to do it how they've always maybe done it or heard about. And Jesus does, he's like the greatest question answerer ever. He, he somehow answers the question sometimes with a question. He sometimes answers, doesn't even answer the question. He totally like starts talking about something way over here and totally like drops the mic and walks away, so to speak. Jesus always brings the truth 
of what we need to know in that moment because he is God with skin. And so this passage is no different in Luke 11. This is an amazing turning point because the last two weeks, Pastor Cameron brought us through, well, the last several weeks, we've been brought through different perspectives of, of being sent out on mission and that the, where the harvest is and that the harvest is ready for us to be on mission. And the, specifically the last two weeks, um, Pastor Cameron taught two weeks ago about the Good Samaritan. And nobody walks away from that story without the glaring responsibility that we are called to action, that we are called to doing, that we're called to help our neighbor, that we're called to help those that we love and those that we struggle to love. We're called to be there the long haul. We're called to be faithful to them. But in it all, we're called to do. And then last week, through Mary and Martha, like literally being in the presence of Jesus, we learned the idea of what it's like to be. So in, in one swing of the pendulum, Jesus describes what it is to do and then what it is to be. It's this beautiful exchange. But I think it's a, like a, a continued plan. Jesus is drawing us in to, yes, serve one another. Yes, serve him. Yes, be with him. But how ultimately... Is he drawing us in to be with him? He's bringing us somewhere else. And today, right now, we get to see where Jesus is bringing us. He's bringing us home. He's bringing us to the Father. And he's bringing us into this beautiful thing called prayer. Now, before you turn me off, I just used the word prayer. And I know we're in church. And like, okay, Pastor, I know where this is going. I know, like, you're bringing us along. Like, I'm going to walk out feeling super guilty that I don't pray enough. Or I don't pray a certain way. And I'm going to walk out. And the, the whole takeaway for today is I need to pray more. You know you need to pray more. I know I need to pray more. Jesus is inviting us to something deeper and better. I'm a why guy. I want to know why. Why are we here right now? Why am I not out in the sun? All right? Why am I, why are we, well, I know, like, I, but you, us all, just in general, like, why are we here? Um, like, we are here for a purpose. I want to know, like, specifically this, like, why did Jesus say it this way? Why did he abbreviate it? Like, as a whole, what was the point of this prayer? Man, uh, any, like, uh, people that, like, want to know, like, beyond the why, like the why the why has happened and why this is over here and why this is over here and why that plays into that why. Like I want to know it all. And this is one of those like stories or moments where Jesus is with his disciples after he goes from doing to being and saying to, to, to Mary like, like Mary or to Martha that, that Mary has chosen the better portion. That being with Jesus is the way to go and that being in his presence is the best thing that you could choose. Like, how is that the better portion? How is that the good portion? And as he's drawing them in, he describes through this exchange, he describes on how we should pray. Let's look at verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Okay. Can I just point out the obvious? If Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God needs to pray, then you and I need to pray. If he can do all things, if he came to be the rescue of the world, he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and if he comes in and he's like, I gotta, I gotta go pray. Like, I gotta spend time talking to my Heavenly Father, then that, and that should like, 
wake us up. How are we too busy or too important or too wrapped up in what we're doing? Or like we love sleep more or we love this thing more. Or how, like why isn't prayer the most obvious priority in our life? And again, I'm not going to the angle today of like, hey, you should pray more and you need to deal with that. Have a nice day. That's not where we're leaning. But I just want to call out for a second. If Jesus needed to pray, then you and I need to pray. He leaned on his father so much. This wasn't like a metaphorical, Jesus went over and he appeared as if he was praying because he was trying to model to the rest of the people that they should stop and pray. This was Jesus yearning, longing for his father. And when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. Which is funny. Because they're asking the king of kings, hey, can you teach us like that other teacher taught? Um, what? Like, can you teach us like the way that we always have known? Can you teach us the way that we're comfortable with? You may be here today and you're like, all right, I'm ready. I'm excited. I got my Bible open. I'm ready to hear, God, what you have for me this morning out of your word. I'm ready to hear it all. But like, you know, just keep it like we're like in line, you know, like we're. Like, I'm comfortable, and like, I get it. And I can, like, it makes sense, and I can add it up, and I can walk away, and I can come back next week feeling great. Nope. Jesus answers the question, kind of skipping over and not addressing the John thing, not taking anything away from John, because John's, like, uh, purpose of preparing the way of the Lord was so significant because the Jews had been waiting for the Messiah to come, and John had literally rolled out the red carpet for Jesus. So it's not taking anything away from John, but he's skipping over that and he's bringing us in as a family to something better, to something greater. This prayer is an outline of how we should pray. This isn't a word for word, although we can do word for word, and that's fine. Um, this is a, an outline. The Lord's Prayer is not just something that you should approach God with. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the way you should approach God. It's the heart of which you should approach God. Jesus is calling in this specific moment. He's, he's using the Lord's Prayer in this passage as five petitions. A welcome to who he's praying to and then five petitions. So if you're taking notes, you, you can simply chart these down. A welcome and then these five petitions that he's bringing. He's making it really simple for them. But he says, when you pray, pr say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day your, our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So he pauses there and says, if he steps over, or I don't, I want to know more. Like, I want to know deeper. Like, was this like in a cave? Was this in a house? Were they floating on the water and having a conversation? Were they eating? Were they in a desperate moment? What, like, what was this moment like? What was their attitudes like? Were they all circled around, like, waiting for Jesus' next word? Or was this just a couple of them? I want to know. And I love, like, the, the Jewish. First century culture blows my mind. It's so amazing when you dive deep into the meaning of what that could have looked like, what that could have been like, the atmosphere and what that, this prayer even met, meant. It's so amazingly significant. Your kingdom come. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us into temptation. And then he shifts and he begins to expound on the prayer of how we should approach God. And he said to them, which of you has a friend that will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and he, I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and he will give him whatever he needs. It's an obvious application here. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you? If a son asks for a fish, instead he gives him a serpent. Or what kind of father asks when a son asks for an egg? He gives him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, <laughs> which is like that, that got awkward a little bit. Just like a good conversation, this is how you pray. Hey, if y'all who are evil, if you get this, you know how to give, give, good, give, give good gifts. Say that ten times fast. Give good gifts to your children. How much more would Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm trying to figure out in that moment, what, whatever that atmosphere looked like, as Jesus is giving this outline of prayer, as Jesus is describing for others, as the disciples are leaning in because they sense that there's an intimacy level between Jesus and his Father God. They sense that there's something there that they want, that they want to like take on, soak up, get. And so they approach Jesus in that way. And in that, Jesus expounds on how we should pray by describing this. Describing relationship. Relationship is everything. And, and if prayer is nothing else, and if you're here today and you're like, I don't know how to pray, I don't pray, I struggle with prayer. I don't know what to say. I like, just understand that prayer is this. It's speaking with God. And God's speaking with you. It's the connection of God who's holy with you who are redeemed and because of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit are made holy. It's this amazing connection where you're not sure what to say. Jesus just lays out the outline of the heart of how we should approach God. And in every area, every single one of you, every single one of us in every moment of life, wherever we struggle, wherever we're at, whatever we've done, wherever we've like, experienced, it's all wrapped up. It all culminates in this beautiful five-petitioned prayer. Now, Jewish first-century culture, they knew prayer. So, like, for them, this was not a moment where Jesus is like, all right, I want you guys to pray more. I want you to spend at least here. Like, he, he kind of scolded them later on the, the, quant, the uh, quantity of their prayer. But in this moment, he's going after the quality of their prayer. He's going after the heart of prayer. And in this, like, I want to just encourage you that as first century Jewish culture or just Jewish culture in general, this prayer, there is nothing 
significant or significantly different about this prayer than many other Jewish prayers. Except for one thing. Literally, as they were hearing this, every single one of them could probably have repeated it already. Whether they had heard Jesus say it before, or whether it was a part of the 18 devotional prayers that the Jews would practice. Whether it was based on festivals or things they were celebrating, or certain times of the day, or Sabbath prayers, or certain things that they already had known. These 18 prayers, they like continued through the whole heart of this. So there was nothing new in here. Nothing in this that was abnormal, that was like, oh, I didn't know that we should say that to God. There was nothing in there. Except for one word. One word changes Everything. Today, one word for you to speak this word changes everything. And I want you to hear, if you hear nothing else, understand that this one word is the gateway to eternal life. This one word opens the door for everything. The word is the first word that Jesus says. Father. Abba. Abba. He's crying out to God as Father. Now again, these disciples in that moment, like they, this, this may not have been a surprise to them because of what Jesus had already brought them through and taught them. But do you understand that this one word changed the Jewish culture, it changed our prayer, it changed everything. Because in this moment, this is Jesus saying to them. He's not just saying, hey, uh, Father, right, hold on guys, I'll get to you and I'll kind of walk you through like how you should address God. No, 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 he's saying, hey, 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 gather around. This is how I want you to pray. First thing I want you to say is address God as Father. This is that moment where Jesus is bringing us, he's inviting us in to the most beautiful thing through the adoption of sons and daughters that God is your father. Three of you seem excited about that. (laughs) Seriously? We live in a culture where everything's so hunky-dory and that we understand Christian culture and we understand the Bible so much where when we hear that God, creator God, Yahweh, the, like, the God of everything who's sovereign over all, who's holy, who's full of love, who's made a plan, who's in absolute supreme control, who's infinite, who's eternal, who they, he's your dad and no one gets excited about that. Are you kidding me? That blows my mind. How does that not excite us? Like, he could have been like, y'all, like, let's address him this way. You're a distant uncle. Or like, (laughs) a good boss. Um, I watched the movie in Minions last night and how they're trying to find a boss. That's like the whole point of the movie. I'm just like imagining like, is this that moment where like finally, like we're all looking for that leader. Even for the Minions, it was the, they're looking for an evil boss to follow. But this is that moment where it passes the boss. It passes the, the leader. It passes creator. It passes everything that they know about God. 
And they understand the depths of Father. And this is Jesus essentially breaking open the doors for you and I to be able to call God Father. This is not some distant cousin or some like radical idea of like if you do this or hey you can say Father at the end if you just say these things this way or you wear this or do this. You can call him Father. The first words out of your mouth. The first approach. You can call him Father. But not because of something you've done. Jesus just prepared the way literally prepared the way for you to call him father not because like you're awesome because he's awesome and he cleared the way and he was about to really clear the way by literally laying down his life for his friends and laying down his life for for all of us and dying on that cross and being murdered for your sin so that you and I could know and be with God that blows my mind and that should blow our mind we can be a, the part of the family of God? How stupid. Sorry, children in the room, I'm not supposed to say that word. How silly, how silly is it for us to forget the importance and the value of calling God Father? He's adopted us. We, we have, we're not even like entitled biologically or He's adopted us. There's no more beautiful picture of the gospel than adoption. Nothing more beautiful than adoption in every sense of the word. And some of you, I know, even in the room, like have experienced this, whether you've been adopted or you've or you've been adopted or you're adopting or you've in that, been in that process, you get that picture of that and the beauty of adoption. There's no better picture of the gospel. I have some friends. In, um, in Texas that have adopted a couple kids from uh, Ethiopia. And these kids are so beautiful. I love them. They're just pictures. And, and, and I had asked them a couple weeks ago when I knew I was preparing for this and um, this whole idea of adoption. I had asked them, like, what is it like when, because they're also a part of an adoption agency and they've met so many adoptive families. And what's it like for the siblings, the current siblings, to bring in somebody else that may look different than them, that, that, that's already, you know, maybe four or, or nine years old and, and maybe a different color skin and a completely different um, uh, environment. What's it like for them to be brought in? And, and they begin to tell me a couple stories about uh, this picture of adoption. And, and I think that there's no more beautiful way than this. And they told me about this family and they gave me this link to, to look up their story. And they're from Michigan, and their name is the, the Via family. And they've been trying to adopt this little girl from Uganda for almost three years. And, and they've hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. They've got three uh, beautiful daughters of their own. They live in Michigan, and they, they've been through this process, and they finally felt like on the Uganda, and the, everything had opened up, and, and like things were progressing. And then, like literally something happening on the, on the United States and where, where it got like postponed or delayed. Um, this was tragic for this family. And so in this, this uh, video I was watching, um, the, the father of the Via family, he says, and he's teary-eyed, he's like, I, I will fight for my daughter. I will fight for her. The father's heart was to fight. But he could do nothing. Helpless in that state. 
And one of the most beautiful things happened. His four, about four, it looked like about four-year-old daughter says, I love kids. Man, you talk about what Jesus says, you need to be like a child. Um, and in this instance, like, God's asking us not to just be like a child. He's saying, I want you to be my child. And this little girl says to her father, he says, well, Dad, if, if she can't come here, why don't we all move to Uganda? <laughs> Isn't that nuts? So they did. They packed up, they sold, and they moved to Uganda. And they've resided there indefinitely. <laughs> all these little white people, like all like trucking down, like, like we're going to Uganda, like with their smile and they're glowing with the glory of God, regardless of, of, of what they look like or what they have. They don't even have a plan. They just know that that's their daughter and they got to bring her home. And whatever home, we can make home whatever, but we're going. So they did, and they're still there. It's a beautiful story of what God did for us. There's nothing that that girl could have done to get to Michigan. And that father said, I'm going to fight for that child. God has looked at you and the condition and your lack of ability to come home, and he says, I'm going to fight for you. And I'm going to, man, and then all of a sudden, the, the son says, all right, I'll go. I'll become one of them. I'll reside with them. I'll be with them so that I could bring them home. That's you. He knows you by name. He cares for you. He loves you. And there's nothing greater that he wants than today to adopt you into the family of God by faith and repentance and recognizing what Jesus did and that life in Christ is a surrender, not a working. It's a surrender so that he can begin the work in you through the Holy Spirit. We ask for all kinds of like things in our prayers, but the greatest gift of them all, better than an egg or a fish and a scorpion or a snake, at the end of this, God gives his greatest gift the Holy Spirit. Because out of the Holy Spirit, this very Spirit of Christ, the very God living inside of us, brings everything, that all that God is into us so that we can experience him and we can serve like him and we can live like him. These prayers are an outline of how we are to pray. We are to be imitators of Jesus. We are to be imitators of God. I'm reminded recently, we went to our friend Azam and Candace's house, and we had some dinner, and then we played a civilized game um, called Just Dance. <laughs> Any Just Dance fans? Two of us, me and Adam, all right? <laughs> so Just Dance is like, you get in front of this the Xbox or Wii, and the song comes on, in this instance it was, the final countdown. Right? And like I couldn't do any move. The only move I could do was this at the beginning of like when it would be like doo -doo -doo -doo. like it would be like this. Like that was all I could do. And basically, you don't know how the game works. You think I'm just 
crazy. Um, there's a dude on this, like a cartoon on the screen, and he's dancing, obviously, out, and you're trying to emanate and, and, and like, do exactly what he is, and you're judged on, like, how good you do. And, like, literally, that was the only move I could do. Like, he's doing all the, and I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. But then after it's over, you realize that in the, on their Xbox, it, I didn't know this beforehand, but it actually records you. And then it shows, and then it shows, like, the replay, and I'm like, oh, that's horrible. Like, it's like, oh, my goodness, at, like, this kind of view. And it's just this strange thing that us Americans come up with. But it's this whole idea is, like, we're supposed to imitate what's on the screen. And Jesus, is in this moment, is not judging on how good you do. He's simply saying, this is how you dance. This is how you communicate with God. This is how you connect with God. This is the heart of not only how you're supposed to pray, but this is the heart of how you're supposed to live. So let's get to it. Father opens the door for everything. Father opens the, like, knocks down the wall. It tears the veil so that you and I can come to a holy God. Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. It's the first petition. He's recognizing her off the bat. Like, before I need you to knock down the walls that I'm praying about, before I need you to, like, connect the dots of the things that I need, I need in this moment, God, for you to know that it's not about me, it's about you. I need for you to understand that it's not about what I want, but ultimately I want what you want. That's what that means. Thy kingdom come. Again, I'm not sure if it was Pastor Cameron or Pastor Ben said this week when we were discussing this, that God answers God-focused prayers. He we just read like how he wants to answer our prayers at the end. He desires so greatly to like hear your prayers that are focused on his glory and not your comfort. Not that his gl glory always conflicts with your comfort, but his, his glory is first, and then he'll bring the ultimate comfort through the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to bring what you really need. But you're aligning your agenda with God. Does God answer legit, practical prayers? You better believe it. Because the next phrase says that. Give us this day, our daily bread. This is not some metaphorical, give me what I really need, the word. Like, yes, he's of course, like, yeah. But he's, he's actually addressing that you need things. He's addressing that he provides things. He's addressing that he is the, the source of which all things come. And I love this part because there's not a whole lot of seemingly great gratitude in this prayer, except for, I think it's in this, this phrase. When you ask God to give you this day what you need, you're also recognizing that he gave you yesterday what you needed. And he gave you the day before what you needed. And he gave you the day before. And not only, not only am I alive, but I survived that. I'm stronger. He got me through it. He provided for me. He gave me all that I needed. And he's recognizing that by saying, give us this day our daily bread. The next petition, number three, is that he, we, he's saying that we should say, that we should pray, forgive us our sins. He uses the word sins. What are sins? We all think sin, and we, like, we, can, we can define sin as like, oh, I'm lying, I'm stealing, I'm cheating, I'm, I'm having sex outside of marriage, like, I, I'm gonna, like, I can list them out, like, I'm, all these things, right? Deeper than that. What do people mostly say is the root of all sin? Pride. But I believe deeper than that is the true definition, the, the, God, the Father's heart behind what sin is. And it's this. 
Sin is a failure to reflect the image of God. Sin is a failure to reflect the image of God in thought, word, or deed. See, God didn't make us to see, like, oh, here's a bunch of rules, and here's what you really want to do, but I'm going to make the rules that make it, like, the things you can't do, and let's see how you do. No. The Father's heart originally made us to be with him, that would ultimately lean to him, and we wouldn't feel the need to have all these other things that sometimes do not reflect the image of God. We're to be image bearers of God. We're to be a reflection. Do you remember the movie Lion King? And you remember, like, after Mufasa died, and, and he was long gone, and, and Simba kind of went through the awkward stage, uh, and, and then now he's like kind of like a grown young man, and he looks a lot like Mufasa. He's got the mane, but he is so lost in, like, a distant land, and he looks over the well, Rafiki comes, and remember Rafiki? Are you with me? Hello? Okay. Rafiki comes, and he's talking about a squash banana and stuff, and he's like, comes in, and he's like, all right. He's giving him a pep talk. He whaps him on the head, and he's like just talking with him. And then Simba looks over the water, and he sees his reflection in the, in the pond. But he doesn't see his reflection, really. He sees his father. It's reflecting who he is. That is the picture of what we are to be. We're to reflect God. Now, how do you reflect God? How do you re- reflect spirit uh, a whole, like, how do you reflect the Holy Spirit? How do you reflect God who's holy? And like, I don't even understand the cut. Like, what? Like, how, how do you reflect God? Well, he, God gave us Jesus, who lived and ate and had struggles and was tempted in all points, but yet without sin. He was put in all these places so that we have something that literally, that we can follow, that we can imitate. Now, there's a big difference between um, imitating God and being God. And I think right there is where we sin. I think right there is where we sin. Let me make it practical. Um, like, as a father, uh, I have a son who's seven. I won't call names. Um, but if you know this son, sometimes he can be a little uh, Corey, I mean, Henri. Um, he, uh, Something happened uh, last week at school, and um, I came in, and his teacher called me over, and uh, this typically doesn't happen. I'm thinking, oh, boy, what did he do? Something happened where um, he got, I guess there's probably no better word, than he got bullied, um, and he got assaulted. Um, and my first thought was what you're thinking, if you know Declan. You're thinking, okay, what did he do to, to spark that? What'd you do, bud? You know, like, and that was horrible that I thought that, but like, I'd go th- walk through the moment as he was, uh, his throat was pressed into and backed up against a wall and, and, and hearing the whole story and um, then wanting to find out where the kid lived and, and, and never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Going home, like kind of walking through, okay, what kind of parent am I going to be? Am I going to imitate Jesus or am I going to annihilate this problem? Am I going to teach my son to imitate Christ or to be God? And and don't make any mistake about it. Like, I don't think imitating Jesus is always like, wouldn't it be crazy if Jesus said something to the effect of, like, you should turn the other cheek? Like, wouldn't it be crazy if he said something like that? (laughs) Wait, oh yeah. He did, that's right. 
um, but beyond that, Jesus wasn't this sissified, limp-wristed, yo, you can just hit me all you want. I mean, he was a man's man. I mean, when something wasn't going right and they were dissing his father on, like, what the church should be, and this is like a side note, but I'm getting all hyped up on this, like, Jesus was a man, and he walked into the temple because they were, they were using, like, the ways to God through prayer. They should have been a house of prayer. They were using it as a business. And Jesus, like, his first public appearance didn't go so well, like, as far as, like, in his ministry, like, his first thing he did, he walks in, in the, the, to the temple, and he flips up all the table. And the money goes flying, and he goes, and he makes a whip. He makes a whip, like a weapon, to go assault these people. And he, like, whips them all out of the temple. Get out of my father's house. This is supposed to be. So he was not just this, like, oh, it's cool. We're good to go. You know, that is not how it was. So what I'm about to say regarding my son is not just this idea of, like, oh, well, you should you know, just let people beat up on you. I mean, there comes a point where I'm, like, teaching my son, like, dude, there comes a point, too, where you're, like, grab the dude, knee him in the face, dude. Like, what? You know, okay. Oh, I'm being real, all right? Don't give me that look. <laughs> I love you. Uh, so, so we walk through, like, what does it mean to reflect God and reflect Jesus in this moment? How do we respond? Um, I thought it went well. Um, he may or may not have brought a Nerf gun to school um, a few days later and got in trouble himself. I don't know if that was related, but I'm not sure if he handled it, but I'm just saying, like, I was, we were trying to understand what it means to imitate Jesus in that moment. And it's practical for you. You've got a ton of reasons and a ton of things in your life. You know good and well that, like, there's the whole, like, I'm just going to be Jesus. And then there's, like, you actually be Jesus to that person. You know, and the Holy Spirit inside you discerns that. That's the importance of the gift that God gave us, his Holy Spirit. Is that we're not left alone. We're not left out to try to figure it out or what, well, we'll just do what my pastor said or we'll just do what my uncle said or we'll just do what this says. Look in the word and hear the Holy Spirit and how it's teaching you what to do and how to imitate God. So sin is a failure to reflect that image that God wants us and desires us to be the better, the good portion is reflecting the ways of God. The next petition is, for we ourselves forgive. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do you realize, like, this was a statement, not a, hey, um, help me to kind of, like, get over the stuff that people have done to me, and this was a proclamation for these people, or for, for the prayer, for you people, for us, in prayer to God the Father. We are making a statement that as I ask for forgiveness, I will also be forgiving. Forgiving, it's a big deal. A quote I saw in church leaders this week said, uh, refusing to forgive is kind of like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. It's horrible. And Jesus understands the, the, the bitterness and the, the, like, the temptation to be upset at someone and hold it over their head and keep them on the hook. He understands that. And even another point where he cries out, Abba, Father, his, his proclamation was, Father, forgive them. Abba, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. 
Maybe the person that hurt you doesn't even realize what they're doing. Maybe they do. Either way, you have to forgive them. You have to forgive them. Wouldn't it be crazy if Jesus said something to the effect of like, hey, if you don't forgive others, then like maybe God, my Father in Heaven, won't forgive you. Wouldn't that be crazy if he said that? He did say that. He takes this very seriously. Because you're thinking about the gates of heaven opening or shutting, whether you forgive somebody or not. He's thinking about the hell that you're in right now because you've not forgiven that person. You're concerned about hell for eternity because of some action or heart or mind, like of releasing. He's thinking about this very moment. He's thinking about the anguish and the, like the roadblocks in your heart and in your soul because you've not released this person. And so in praying this to God, you're coming to him, and yes, you're saying Father, but as an overflow of saying Father and understanding what he's done for you and released you and he's, he's let you off the hook, he's also like challenging us to let everyone else off the hook. A request to ask for forgiveness goes hand in hand with us being forgiving. A request for us to be forgiven goes hand in hand with us being forgiving. I know it's hard. Every single person in here has been, maybe, maybe Mabel hasn't been through it, but we've all, or these other babies haven't been through it. But if you're at any point of like understanding and you've been hurt, you understand the challenge of this. But this is why he's ultimately asking you to bring it to the Father and not try to figure it out on your own. He is the source. He has sent the Holy Spirit so that he can live inside you and he can help you and he can live through you and he can get, not just help you, he can be, like, emanate everything outside of who he is through you. Lead us not into temptation. He's ultimately us, challenging us to ask God to get us out of the scenarios where we struggle and where we can be tempted to want to not reflect the image of God. To not reflect all He is in our lives. The besetting sins, the sins that destroy us, the darkness that it brings. Lead me out of that temptation. When lust has conceived, James says, that it brings forth sin. And when sin is conceived, it brings forth death. I'll never forget. November 2005, my best friend, uh, where I grew up, lived right behind me. His name is Jared. And um, we did everything together growing up. Um, and uh, so November 2005, um, I got a call. He had, since high school, he kind of went down a horrible path of, of drugs and addiction. And I mean, it rained in his family, too, as far as, like, it, it, that gripped their family and the darkness that came on their home, literally because of addiction and because of, of, of that um, I'll never forget, like, her, his, I mean, a matter of a year and a half, his, his mom overdosed. Um, his dad somewhat overdosed and fell in a pool. I mean, no one found him. Um, 
And then here's Jared. I get a phone call that, um, that he had passed away um, because of an overdose. And I remember I lived in a different state at that point and came back for the funeral. And obviously you're like five years or six years out of high school and like you're, um, you're seeing a lot of people that you know went down that path with them. And driving back, like I remember thinking like, all right, this is it. All those friends that like I grew up with and played sports with and was friends with and they went down that road and like, they, they, like this is it. This is the wake up call where that darkness will be lifted in the depths of their sin and the depths of that temptation of just like giving that control over to something to take over their body in the simplest way. And there's tons of different sins that entrap us and beset us. But for them in this specific situation, I knew that that was a turning point for these people and I got there. And the way that they, the darkness that I felt there, and the way that they wanted to mourn his death was to party the hardest they've ever partied. And sometimes the easiest step when you're in the darkness is seemingly back into the darkness when the light is a step away. It's a word away. It's a calling on the name of Jesus. Call on the name of Jesus. He is light. He knows the way to the Father. In fact, he is the way. And in this moment, Jesus is inviting us to adoption and the understanding of what it means to be fellow heirs with Christ. Last step, I want you to turn to Romans 8 and 15. Romans 8 and 15. God's excited about the ask, the seek, the knock. He's challenging you to do it, but for you gotta like we can't we can't leave today. You can't leave without the understanding of who we're talking to, and the the way that's been prepared for you to go and ask. Like whose house are you at? What door are you at? Romans eight and verse fifteen says, "For you." You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. All that God's done, all that God sent, all that God's brought forth to you, even in this very moment, the very fact that you're here, the very fact that you're awake, most of you, the very fact that you're listening and you're hearing that there's a better way. You're hearing that this man named Jesus, not even just like, not even go down the road of history. Like there's no doubt, even historically, that Jesus came. There's no doubt, even historically, that, that Jesus rose from the dead. You can't, no one can dispute that, what he did. But by faith, understanding that what he actually did on the cross was to die for your sins, to pay the penalty 
for your sins. To God, that God's wrath will be poured out. And that when Jesus ultimately called to his Father, Abba, on that cross, that, that God, literally the Father, turned his back on his Son because he was taking on your sin. He turned his back so that now he can turn his back to you. Or excuse me, turn back to you. And that you can have a way. That's adoption. That brings us to what the spirit of what is challenging us to the next part. That we've received the spirit of adoption as sons whom we cry. Whom we get to cry. Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that, our, that we are children of God. We are children of God. Behold what manner the love of the Father has given unto us that you and I can be called the sons of God, that we can be called the daughters of God, that we can be called the children of God. What is it for you? And in this moment to understand verse 17, and if children, then we're heirs. We're heirs with Christ. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him. And this understanding of what adoption truly is, this moment hinges everything. When Jesus says, Father, he's, this is an inclusive, an all-inclusive moment where he's asking you, where he's inviting you. Hey, you can be adopted too. You can be a part of the family of God. This is it. It's an invitation to be a part of the family by saying, Father, there's no greater picture. I want you to watch a video. There's no greater picture of the gospel than adoption, specifically in this way. Let's take a look. He's encouraging all these disciples, and he's encouraging you and I to call to God the first words, Father. This boy says, your past doesn't define you, and this family proves that. The family of God, the church, your past does not define you. And this family proves that. But I can't help, no, I can't end this without the heart of God through the Son Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, inviting you to also be a part of the family of God. Like, all right, where do I sign up? What's the application process? It's the same as it was then. It's the same as it is now. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, the finished work of the cross, how he rose from the dead, and by faith, you trusting that, you believing that as the, the payment for your sin that separates you from God. And in that ask, and in that prayer, and in that moment, it's not the words you say. I think we pointed that out clearly. It's not the verbatim repeat after me, although there's a good outline for that. It's the heart. And if you've received Jesus, if you've asked him in your life, or asked him in your heart, probably we all shared those moments that we've, we've done that. We've probably said different words, but we've all had the same heart. To be a part of the family of God is to invite Jesus to save you. A moment where you surrender. A moment where you recognize that ultimately Jesus is the way to 
the Father. So if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that right now. There's no better time than the now. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head. If you'd like to, by faith, trust Jesus as your Savior, if you, by faith, like to do that would you just pray something like this not the words I say oh if that helps if it's a good outline great but it's what you mean in your heart say Jesus thank you for saving me God thank you for sending your son Jesus I know I've sinned I know I have failed to reflect your image fallen short and I ask and I trust that what you did on the cross saves me today I ask Father because of your son Jesus I ask that you'd save me I'd ask that your Holy Spirit would come inside of me I'd ask that he'd reside I want to follow you. I want my sins forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There's no better moment in your entire life than that moment. Whenever, however, that moment, walking through repentance of what you've done, but understanding that the better story is how the Father has received you. As an adopted son, as an adopted daughter, by faith. You know who wants to know whether you prayed that in your life for the very first time? I do. So I'm, I'm up here. Pastor Ben's up here. Pastor Cameron will be up here. If you need to, to talk through that or walk through that, or you're not sure really what I, I we'd love to do that. If anything, we'd like to give you a big, giant hug and say, welcome to the family of God. And so I want to invite you as we sing this amazing song, these lyrics that proclaim that our Father is good, would you come with us? No. And we would love to welcome you, and we'd love to walk with you as we begin the journey of understanding who God is because of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So would you stand and would you sing? And if you need prayer or you need welcome, we are here.